Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association and available on our website at www.cefa.com. Today we are joined again by Tom Rosine, Head of Research Services with Perfinitive Lipper and author of the Fund Market Insight Report, which provides in-depth monthly commentary on the closed-end fund market. We're happy to have you with us today, Tom. Hi, Diane. Great to be here. Tom, you recently published a report for December 2021, which covers over 600 closed-end and interval funds. How did investment markets generally perform in the fourth quarter of 2021, and what was the impact on closed-end funds? Well, let's take a little step back. For 2021, equity funds posted their strongest one-year return since 2019, with the average closed-end fund returning 11.31% for the year. That includes both fixed income and equity funds. And how we break that out, and I'm going to get to the quarter here, but I just wanted to kind of point out how good of a year it was. The one-year return for equity funds was about 18.56%. That is well above what we would normally expect over the long-term average is about 10%. And even fixed income funds were able to put about a 5.68% return up on the board. And, of course, I think normally we expect about 5%. So really, both asset classes were doing very well. You know, despite the rise in the Omicron variant, uh, slowing job growth, I mean, it's been okay, but again, missed analyst expectations, rising inflation, and, of course, the Fed's late commitment to reducing its asset purchases, and probably add some interest rate hikes in 2022, closed-end funds did surprisingly well for the quarter. Overall, if we take a look, it's about 4.18% return. This is, again, for the quarter. That's fixed income and equity together. But breaking these out and taking a little closer look, I like to break them out into our macro groups. I've talked to people about the macro groups, and basically it allows us to take a look at kind of equities that are domestic and then world equities and then mixed asset funds. So that's what I'm going to give you here. So uh, for Q4, we saw that domestic equity funds had about a 5.82% return, very good return for a quarter. World equity funds didn't do quite as well, about 1.71%. And then we take a look at mixed asset funds. They had about a 1.36%. A little bit of disappointment on the fixed income side when we take a look at the quarter. World bond funds were down about 0.95%. And then we take a look at the domestic taxable bond funds. They were up 0.54. And muni bond funds really had a pretty strong quarter considering what was going on, about a 1.38% return. So overall, for the quarter, we saw some good numbers, and it certainly translated from the market all the way through to the fixed income inequity universe on the closed-end fund side as well. Your data breaks out closed-end funds into over 20 classifications. What classifications were the best performing for the month of December, and which sector struggled? Well, you know, let's start off with kind of with the big view again. Now, first of all, about 90% of all closed-end funds did fantastic. They had plus-side performance for the month of December. We take a look and break it down a little bit closer. We take a look at on a NAV basis, 94% of equities and 88% of fixed income funds had returns in the black. In another quick review uh, you know, on the macro groups that I've given you before, basically, if we take a look at those domestic equity funds for December, up 3.76%. This is the second month in three that they were actually showing plus side returns. World equity funds were up 3.64. Mixed asset funds, 2.10%. So overall, on the equity side, did very well. World bond funds actually climbed to the top of the charts for the uh, month of December. World bond funds had a 1.85% return. It's the first month in four that they actually beat their domestic and muni brethren. And domestic taxable funds returned about 1.03, and muni bond funds uh, had a 0.24% return about. So, you know, when we're taking a look at that overall, um, when we want to take a kind of a deep dive, 
you know, we can then get into what's happening in the equity universe by itself. And I'll give you a little bit of light on the uh, at the end of the tunnel for, for fixed income as well. But on the equity side, we saw that utility funds came in about 7.46%. So while techs were falling out of favor, value and income-oriented funds actually did better. And, of course, we did see some running in energy funds as well for obvious reasons. You know, gas prices and, and oil prices went up about 16% for the quarter. But it, taking a look again, developed market funds had a really good return. Again, this is one of our international categories. Developed markets had about a 4.51%. And then we take a look at the diversified equity funds, which, again, is our domestic group, 5.26%. So overall, these three had some very, very good returns. Taking a look, though, at the bottom of the group, convertible funds had about a 1.02% return. And sector equity funds lagged a little bit, but 2.26%. Again, all of them positive. All of them really looking really good. Turning our attention to the fixed income side and knowing that we saw about a nine basis point increase in yields, 10-year yields, to about 1.52% this month, investors stayed in search of yield. So for the first month and four, we saw emerging market hard currency debt actually outperformed all other categories, up 2.19%, so very spectacular return for a one-month period. High-yield funds leveraged uh, returned about 1.95%, global income up about 1.72%, and at the bottom, we had our Pennsylvania Municipal Bond Fund classification up only 0.06%, and U.S. mortgage funds up about 0.07%. So really, the investor was in search of yield and willing to put risk on to gain that yield for the month of December. Is this a change from what you saw earlier in the fourth quarter? It is. So actually from the third quarter. So the big change basically was that we didn't have negative returns. Uh, if you look back to Q3, we did have uh, really kind of some hard times in September, October, and uh, people were very worried about the uh, Delta variant, its rise, rather than focusing on the uh, Omicron variant. And we had concerns with uh, China. For instance, China uh, Evergrande was worried about some bankruptcy and you know, what type of ripple impact that might have on the real estate markets. And, of course, the Fed kept interest rates and their bond purchases unchanged, but people anticipated that they would have interest rate hikes and probably start reducing their bond purchases. Let me give you an example. September returns for equities about 1.64% and bonds were, and these are minus, and bonds were down about 0.39%. So really a much better quarter for Q4. Do you expect these trends to continue as we start the new year? I do. You know, inflation is on the rise. So I think what we're going to see is, again, put off the pedal, and we've seen it a huff and a hun over the last several months. Stay-at-home stocks did very well for a while, and they fell out of favor for a while. But really, with the Fed saying that they expect to raise interest rates soon, many people are saying that could be as early as March. I think that we're going to see uh, investors focus on income orientation, right, as far as getting interest plays out of there. And they're also going to look for out-of-favor issues. And, and for instance, I think we'll see a little bit more play in the overseas stocks and maybe even some areas that were not doing so well at the beginning of the quarter. You know, for instance, financial services that actually benefit from uh, rises in interest rates. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to see the same thing that's been occurring over the last month or so. The way closed-end funds trade in relation to their net asset value is an important consideration for many investors. Did you see any specific trends in premium discount behavior for December? Yeah, you know, we didn't see the big moves that some people might expect at end of year. We did see some in, in uh, equities, the big change in equities. But the, from the numbers I'm going to show you here, not that big of a thing. You know, the median discount for all closed-end funds, again, we focus on the median because the average is skewed by some of the big discounts and the big premiums out there. So the median discount 
for all closed in funds narrowed or improved by about 37 basis points for December to 2.03. That is much better than the 12 month moving average of 3.29. And when I say much, again, I guess 3.29 versus 2.03 is not a lot to write home about, but certainly it's very low. And it's something that we've been keeping an eye on. The median discount for all equity funds actually widened a little bit to 29 basis points, 5.22. And you know, that might have been that tax loss harvesting, kind of the end of the year sale uh, that I was talking about. So we did see a little climb there. But again, 29 basis points is 5.22, very respectable. But we saw the median discount for all fixed income closed in funds narrow by about 26 basis points to 1.30%. That's the lowest that we've seen since August 2021. Again, not too many months ago, but that's when it was at a minus 0.95%. So again, on the fixed income side, not a lot of changes. On the equity side, we did see some, what I would expect, some climbing or widening of discounts just for the various reasons of doing the tax loss harvesting and getting winners of some of those winners and those losers so they could avoid some tax implications. How do current premiums and discounts compare to their historical averages? Well, this is where I think it'll open up some people's eyes. If I go back 12 months, and of course, that's 129-2021, not 12-31, that'd be 13 months. But if I take a look at the time period of 129-2021 and compare to the numbers I just kind of recited to you, I'll give both again. We saw that all funds, this is again, closed-in funds, both the equity and fixed income, were at a discount of 7.29%, whereas I just told you on 12-31 of the 2.03, equity funds were at 10.13, now they're at 5.22, and fixed income were at 6.13, and now at 1.30, so quite a change. And if I take a look at the number of funds trading at premium on 129-21, 85. On 12-31-2021, it was 159, so almost twice as much as we had a year ago. So really, there's been an improvement, and it's pretty much stuck around. Which sector saw the greatest change? Basically, if we take a look at uh, you know some of the big changes that we saw out there, when we take a look at it, world income closed-in funds saw the largest widening of their closed-in fund macro group. And I'm going to give to you macro group rather than classifications here. 136 basis points to 2.30%. Remember, I told you it was a widening. So to jump to 2.30 is not too alarming to anybody. Now, on the uh, equity side, the domestic equity group actually saw the largest narrowing of discounts, 98 basis points to 1.99%. Now, that's among some of the lowest numbers we've seen in a while. Tom, economic growth has been good and interest rates remain low, but there are concerns about inflation and a shift in federal reserve policy. Are there sectors among closed-end funds where investors may find particular opportunities given where those funds are uh, trading relative to their historical averages? And how do you see the direction of the markets? So we had a spectacular run-up, as I just described. We witnessed kind of a foot off the pedal for tech stocks and stay-at-home stocks. They underwent some pressure at the year end uh, as people were were changing, and we got a little of that back uh, mid-month in December as well. But investors' focus has shifted and and really is uh, uh, turning towards value plays. And I'm going to call it uh, income-issued or income-focused issues that could, you know, basically help returns, total returns. But if we take a look at it, remember I was telling you, financial services actually do better as interest rates rise. They're able to raise some of their rates and actually earn a little bit more money. Utility funds certainly could have a benefit. Sector equity funds are on their own. Sector equity funds for the year only returned about 14.12%. I say only, uh, but with some of the big numbers we saw, that's, that's a low number. Utility funds only did about 17.12%. So they were the relative laggards of the equity universe. 
But we take a look at the world equity funds, and I think most people will be paying attention in this space. Global equity funds did okay, 13.04, but developed market funds were only returning about 8.22% for the year, and emerging market funds basically only had about 6.99%. So they have some opportunity to try to catch up to some of the returns as the normalization of returns on the uh, domestic equity side kind of come into play. And of course, we're, we're going to keep our eyes on materials. Uh, we've had a material shortage. Uh, we think that there's going to be some extra benefit uh, as materials start to loosen up a little bit, more demand, and so that could be a play. On the fixed income side, one of the areas that I've been telling people is inflation protected to take a look at, and also loan participation funds. Now, that was a big winner, 8.24% for the year. It doesn't sound a lot, but again, remember, that's the fixed income side. So it was one of the top performers for the one-year period. But again, with inflation on the rise, rising interest rates uh, probability, this might be something you can keep an eye on. But one of the outer favor issues, uh, actually two, uh, is both corporate debt, triple B-rated closed-end funds, and corporate debt, triple B-rated leverage funds. They had a 0.15% minus and positive 3.61% of returns for the one-year period. So they were relative laggards. And of course, I've already mentioned the idea that you know maybe if you're willing to put some risk out on the table, you could take a look at emerging market hard currency debt funds. They were down 1.86% for the one-year period. But again, that's not for the faint of heart. And uh, there is a lot of volatility in that space as well. If the Federal Reserve does begin to have less accommodative policy, including raising interest rates, how would you expect this to impact closed-end funds? There are kind of two issues here. It all depends what the speed of of the change is. Um, you know, if it's slow and steady, well telegraphed, which so far it has been. We don't know when the first rate hike is going to be. But I could see you know money being made up in interest rates, right, so interest payments, that will offset the losses that we have from that inverse relationship as interest rates rise, the value of our our bonds or our our mutual funds will decline a little bit. So it could be a push. If it's aggressive, I think some people are going to keep a really close eye on longer dated or high uh, duration uh, security. So that that will be a concern. The other issue that I think uh, people are trying to pay attention to is the interest rates and how the high interest rates are going to impact leverage and when we take a look at leverage, you know, obviously uh, funds borrow money, and then what they want to do is borrow at a very low rate and then put it back to work for a higher rate. This may stop them or maybe curtail a little bit of that use. Again, we don't know. We don't know how fast it's going to go. But today, um, it's not closed, but today I heard that we jumped to 1.8% on the 10-year Treasury, which we haven't seen, by the way, since around January, I'm going to say between the 17th and the 21st of 2020. So interest rates are obviously on the rise. We've seen some of the biggest jumps in, in rates that we've seen, again, almost two years of time. So I think people are going to be keeping a really close eye on that. Tom, you also follow interval funds, which typically offer limited quarterly liquidity to investors. How have interval funds generally performed in the fourth quarter of 2021? Well, they kind of underperformed this time. You know, most of the quarters that I've, we've reviewed this, you know, the interval funds are kind of a, I think, an outperformer at many times. But we saw that, for instance, in the real estate space, there's about 35 interval funds, about eight conventional closed-end funds. And they underperformed a bit for taking a look at the uh, three-month period of time. Again, not anything to really say was bad. The average interval fund uh, returned about 6.07%, but the average conventional closed-end fund had about a 12.64% return. So almost a doubling. Uh, now, keep in mind, we're comparing 35 funds to eight funds. So that's not really a good comparison. We did see that in sector equity. Uh, we saw that general bond funds and then high-yield funds 
that the interval funds actually did outperform, sometimes only marginally, but they did outperform. For example, sector equity funds had a 2.98% for the average interval fund, whereas the average closed-end conventional fund had a 2.66%. We're talking about 20 basis points benefit towards the uh, interval side. Um, Loan participation funds was about a push. 58 basis points versus 63. And then we saw that on the income and preferred stock area, they actually underperformed quite significantly, about 30 basis points or 0.30% return versus 1.96. So overall, there was a little bit of a change in the leadership. Uh, but again, these are you know the reason we invest in these on a long-term basis. It's not necessarily for a quarter-to-quarter return type of uh, return that we're looking at. We're looking at longer time periods illiquid securities, and not all illiquid, but more illiquid securities, and it gives them plenty of time to actually recover. What asset classes or investment strategies do you believe offer the most interesting opportunities for interval fund investors in the current market? So certainly, as we take a look at it, you know, like I was saying, real estate, preferred stock, underperformed this time, and, you know, general bond and high yield outperformed, loan participation were neutral. But when we take a look at some of the offerings that are out there, Basically, general bond funds, the real estate funds, and the sector equity funds, I think, have the biggest opportunities to jump into. They have the most offerings. And as, as we take a look, actually, when we're taking a look at like new fund offerings and the like, truly, uh, when we're looking at the uh, new funds, the majority of them actually are, are, are edible funds. I said in my most recent segment that we had about 37 new funds that came out. And of those 37 new funds that came out, we saw that 24 of them were interval funds. So certainly the fund families are understanding that they can offer a different product, you know, less, again, less liquid. And I think we always have to make sure everybody knows that, you know, often the refunding or the opportunity to sell your securities are quarterly. Often it's between five and 10% of the assets under management. So if you need to get out, it's not a good time to get out. But certainly the area that we're talking about, the general bond, real estate and sector equity have had the biggest offerings and give people a sampling of different uh, vehicles that they can go into and uh, have a bigger, bigger, you know, rather than having just one or two offerings. Uh, some of these have the general bond, real estate, and sector equity have the largest offering. Let me give you an example here so the ramble would make sense. General bond funds, there are 45 offerings in interval closed-end fund space where there are only 23 on the conventional closed-end fund space. So these are where you could probably find some uh, good deals. But again, caveat emptor, uh, they may be difficult to sell if you need to get out of them quickly and, and raise cash quickly. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Diane, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.cefa.com. 